Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're going to study from the book of Isaiah, skipping ahead a little bit in the text as our sermon and our curriculum have moved forward. Uh, if you aren't aware of this, these devotions work in conjunction with these books. They're available on Amazon uh, and available uh, at the Redemption Church website. And as some of you know, watching these devotions because you have these books and you're watching this at a, at a future date, which is, which is really, really cool. But uh, just as a, a word to those who have subscribed recently, which was really cool, just for the devotions, they are part of a larger product. So if you ever wonder why I suddenly skip a bunch of texts, it's because I've preached on it and it also has been used for the small group curriculum. This way, your devotions and your curriculum and all the sermons, they all work together to take us verse by verse through the whole Bible in uh, what looks to be about mm, nine years scope and sequence. So here is today's text. We're in Isaiah chapter 45, picking up in verse 14. This is what the Lord says. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans, men of stature, will come over to you and will be yours. They will follow you. They will come over in chains and bow down to you. They will confess to you, God is indeed with you and there is no other, there is no other God. Huge text, right? Let, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Egypt and Cush. Egyptians, you know, were former enslavers of Egypt. Cush, uh, it, it coincides with Ethiopia, and the Sabaeans were an Arabian people. And there's, an, uh, there's a prophecy of a coming day wherein they will see that the Lord is God. This is not the first time we've seen this in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah has foretold of even a time when Israel would serve as this bridge that would connect uh, you know, uh, formerly pagan nations who now believe. So this is, this is good news. This is a happy prophecy. Yes, you are a God who hides God of Israel, Savior. Let's talk about this. Um, imagine that you are a scientist in a lab and you are a microbiologist. You're working with like a singular bacterium, you know, whom you have managed somehow to synthesize. That hasn't happened. We can't create bacteria. We can only, you know, manipulate environment and observe changes over time. But you know, it's a form of microevolution, not macroevolution, by the way. Macroevolution has never been observed. But let's say that you are somehow able to synthesize a singular bacterium. And you've created it, you've made it, and you watch it. You're master over its whole realm, the Petri dish. And you become really attached to this bacterium. You know, you, you are fond of it. You wish it well. But what's funny is that uh, this bacterium can't see you. Because to this bacterium, you're massive. You're gigantic. You are godlike compared to this bacterium. The text says, yes, you are a God who hides in his immensity and in our sin. We cannot see him, but we love him. Yes, you are a God who hides, God of Israel, Savior. 
So this is reflective of the prophesied coming salvation among the Sabaeans, the Egyptians, and the Cushites. All of them are put to shame, even humiliated. The makers of idols go on in humiliation together. Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated for all eternity. Don't fall for the trend. Don't fall for the moral trend and don't end up worshiping your possessions, saying like, I've got to have this new fill in the blank thing. All right. I've got to have a Tesla. I've got to have a big giant house. I've got to dress that way. I've got to be accepted by these certain people. All right. Or I've got to show that I'm hip to this latest moral trend. These are ways in which we can fall into the same trap of idolatry. The makers of idols go, uh, uh, the, the makers of, uh, of idols go into humiliation, right? All of them are put to shame, even humiliated. The makers of idols go in humiliation together. What seems like idol worship for a time, what seems trendy, what everybody wants for a, a single time, it will end in humiliation because it will not last and it will not satisfy, it will not atone. You don't need a new car to be satisfied. You can be satisfied with exactly the one that you have. The fact that you have a car makes you wealthier than a lot of the people in the world. Don't worship human-made things that would lead to humiliation. Israel will be saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Okay, so, so much better than the mere passing fads right, of idol worship and moral trends. You will not be put to shame or humiliated for all eternity. For this is what the Lord says, the creator of the heavens. Right? Look at the huge contrast between the makers of idols and the creator of the heavens. Which of these two are you going to listen to? The God who formed the earth and made it. The one who established it. He did not create it to be a wasteland, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. All right, now let's talk about this. Because this brief parenthetical may have thrown you for a moment, um, and I don't blame you, I had to, I had to research it myself, is a, a common Near Eastern myth that humans were created because these, you know, sort of subjugated gods originally were dispatched upon the earth to dig canals, and then they stopped doing their work. They were, there was, they were, they, they were created themselves, and they were put on this giant wasteland of a planet, and they needed to cultivate it. And they were like, you know what? Forget this. We're going on strike. We're forming a union. <laughs> um, and so they all quit. And then humans were just kind of left to clean up the mess and cultivate the earth uh, out of a wasteland because these, so these pagan you know, false demigods abdicated their job. This is, this is I, I think, a jab at that false pagan belief. He didn't create this place to be a wasteland. He formed it to be inhabited. It's true. I, I remember uh, in some of the texts that I had to read for Intro to Philosophy of Religion uh, my freshman year at Florida State, um, we read all sorts of ancient creation myths. And what I was struck by was how they were all terrible. <laughs> like, they were all really bad. I mean... It was always bleak and disgusting, even. I mean, I, I don't even want to recite some of it. I'll just give you an idea of just like one detail, even like one of the Native American creation myths. Everybody was created and, and it was all like dark and they were all together and then they were all uncomfortable. And, the, and this ancient 
creation myth says that they were uncomfortable because they did not have the anatomical means to expel waste. And so then they were all punctured and then they could relieve themselves. Gross, right? Now, I mean, I know it, it's, it's a little disrespectful of me to just, you know, say this about someone's sincerely held religious belief, but it's true, man. That's just gross. I, the, the earth wasn't inhabited. It wasn't created as some disgusting, horrid wasteland. And, and we weren't created with, you know, with incomplete digestive tracts. You know, like we, we, we were created in a perfect world that was designed for us to inhabit and have dominion over. This is what, this is what the biblical text says. So, so just understand, that's my opinion about the Native American creation myth. And numerous other pagan creation accounts, too. Like, they're always just terrible and violent and gross. Like, go figure. You tuned into a, a, a Christian channel, and I'm, I'm telling you that I, I think that the Word of God is the one true Word of God. And it also, by the way, the good news is it happens to be not only the one true one, but also the most beautiful of them all. The, the creation account within the Judeo-Christian worldview is absolutely exquisite, and it's the only extant creation account that accounts for everything. And every step of the way, God lauds each phase for its goodness and pours affection over his creation. It wasn't until we sinned that the wasteland aspect showed up. The, in fact, the thorns and thistles that we see are God even cursing the ground because of sin. But it was originally created, not according to pagan accounts like some sort of wasteland, but it was actually created to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, there is no other. I have not spoken in secret. All right, this is this is it's kind of ironic, right? Like we're we're studying the book of Isaiah right now, you know, and it was it was it's it's the collection of the prophecies of the ministry of of Isaiah who like spoke and it was all written down and it was public and it was to be made known. You know, this was not this is not hidden. Okay, there's not not going to be a single person in the world who can claim that they had no clue about. Any of this, especially if you don't, especially if you you live in the U.S. Okay, like there, there are like multiple Bible translations and multiple languages available to you in that supercomputer that's in your pocket everywhere that you go. This is not this is not a, a secret. This is this has been proclaimed. Our God has spoken and He speaks. I have not spoken in secret somewhere in a land of darkness. I did not say to the descendants of Jacob, "Seek me in a wasteland." I am the Lord who speaks righteously, who declares what is right. Come. Gather together and approach, you fugitives of the nations, those who carry their wooden idols and pray to a God who cannot save, who cannot save, who have no knowledge. Speak up and present your case. Yes, let them consult each other. We saw this same kind of courtroom imagery in chapter 43, and now it continues in, in chapter 45. Who predicted this long ago? Who announced it from ancient times? Was it not I, the Lord? There is no other God but me. Look at that. The audacious exclusivity of the Christian worldview, and in this case, uh, to be fair, the Judeo-Christian uh, view of the one true God, the weight of that claim rests upon God himself, 
So Christian, don't be embarrassed of it. Don't apologize. Don't try to play PR agent for God and in some sort of ecumenical gesture, accidentally suggest that there are other gods too, because what you'll be presenting is one savior, but mostly ways to hell. And when you do that, you lead no one to the one true faith because you debase it, suggesting that syncretistically other faith systems are on par. So the only way, you, you don't lead more people to God by trying to act like there are multiple ways to God. I know it's counterintuitive, but there's only one way. If you try to present multiple ways to God, you lead everyone to hell. If you lead to the one true way to God, that's the only way you lead anyone to salvation. Okay, do you understand? Don't, don't give the patient every medicine in the cabinet. Give him the one that saves him. Anything else you do will kill him. There is no other God but me, a righteous God and Savior. There is no one except me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. Truth has gone from my mouth, a word that will not be revoked. Every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will swear allegiance. It will be said about me, righteousness and strength are found only in the Lord. All who are enraged against him will come to him and be put to shame. All the descendants of Israel will be justified and boast in the Lord. What we just read in verse 23 is quoted in the New Testament. This is pretty cool. And in fact, speaking of the courtroom setting, it's used by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the context about Christians judging each other, sniping each other, writing blogs about each other, or gossiping about each other, spreading misinformation about each other, right? even, just, even just casting aspersions on one another. But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So Paul in Romans 14 quoted this text. He quoted from Isaiah chapter 45. And it's true. Every one of us is going to give an account to the Lord. And he and he alone will judge. That means that your friend who sins is going to have to give an account for his own sin, and you will give an account for your sin, and your friend's sin will not absolve you of any guilt, and then your righteousness will not be of any use to your friend, because both of you will have to give an account before God. Okay, two prisoners on death row who speak disparagingly of each other accomplish absolutely nothing. They both have to stand before the judge. So, are you ready to stand before the judge? Look at your life right now. Is it dedicated to the Lord? Men, is your family, is your household dedicated to the Lord? Would you be ready to give an account before God for how you've led your family well? We must all give an account before God, but I'm looking especially to the men to lead your families well. This is a gut check for all of us, men, women, children, widowed, divorced, single, single wanting to be married, single by a call into celibacy. Every one of us 
is going to give an account before God. And every one of us has sinned. But you need not be afraid because God is also, as he introduced himself in this text, the Savior. See that? Even in the Old Testament, he was introducing himself as, in fact, a Savior. We see it again here. Verse 21. That God is the Savior. The Savior. The Savior. So when we come together, when we stand in judgment, when this courtroom ceases to be a metaphor in Isaiah or the New Testament epistles and becomes our eternal experience, you will stand before the judge and he will also be your Savior. Confess today that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Be saved and then let us know so we can connect you with a good, solid Bible teaching church. I'll see you next time.